This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Tuesday, November 30th. Coming up, the COVID-19 pandemic is spreading big city housing price jumps to small towns that have never seen them before. Some people are moving to rural Missouri from as far away as California. We have three good incomes and three properties that we can sell in California. I own my house outright, so it's pure profit and the the prices have gone crazy. How crazy housing prices might be coming to a small town near you. Plus, how to make Kansas City a more inclusive place for kids with disabilities. But first, some headlines. A federal judge has stopped a vaccine mandate for healthcare workers from going into effect in 10 states, including Kansas and Missouri. Brian Grimmett reports. The federal mandate from the Biden administration applies to employees of healthcare providers who participate in the federal Medicare and Medicaid programs. That includes most healthcare providers, hospitals, and long-term care nursing facilities. The judge blocked the mandate from going into effect, writing that CMS went beyond its powers by issuing the mandate without approval from Congress. The judge also called the rule arbitrary and capricious because it didn't consider any alternative options to vaccination, such as weekly or daily testing. Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt has opposed the mandate. He says it would hurt small rural hospitals struggling to have enough staff and the vaccine decisions should be left to individuals. Kansas City Police Chief Rick Smith will stay on the job through spring 2022. That's according to an official statement yesterday from the Board of Police Commissioners. After nearly a week of speculation on whether Smith was being ousted, the board met yesterday morning and said it had never voted to fire Smith. Board Commissioner Mark Tolbert said Smith will be with the department through the city's current budget process. The chief remains in good standing with the Board of Police Commissioners. A memo obtained by KCUR last week called for Smith to step down on April 22nd and to be paid his normal salary through next August. Civil rights groups have called for the firing of Smith since June 2020. All across the country, the COVID-19 pandemic has sparked high housing prices in places long insulated from them, including rural Kansas and Missouri towns that have seen low real estate values for decades. KCUR's Frank Morris reports a surge in interest in some of these places is also squeezing some longtime residents. For years, the run-up in housing prices passed by vast stretches of so-called flyover country. Take Osceola, Missouri, a town of 900 an hour beyond the outskirts of Kansas City. It's smaller than it was a century ago, and home prices were in the basement for decades before the pandemic. Hello. Nice to meet you guys. On a recent morning, the small real estate office on the square in Osceola is full of Californians, like Robert Velasquez. And housing is in short supply. So now you know why people like us coming out is why you got a shortage on homes. Velasquez, along with his wife and her siblings, are shopping for property here. They're approaching retirement and say that California has become too expensive and for them, too liberal. And Velasquez's brother-in-law, Craig Yoder, says that coming from California, they're wielding substantial buying power in rural Missouri. We have three good incomes and three properties that we can sell in California I own my house outright, so it's pure profit, and the, the prices have gone crazy. And prospective buyers like Yoder are driving up rural home prices, according to Daryl Fairweather, an economist with the real estate brokerage Redfin. Across the board, home prices have gone up, and people are moving towards places that are more affordable because of remote work that they wouldn't have considered before. I'm actually part of this trend. I moved from Seattle, which 
had been seeing price growth for quite some time to a rural part of Wisconsin. To Williams Bay, Wisconsin, a town of about 2,600 on a small lake. Home prices in her new hometown spiked about 20 percent in the last year. Fairweather says remote work is driving lots of the rural relocations, with climate change, politics, and lifestyle issues also propelling moves. The rise in rural property values can vary dramatically from region to region and town to town. But Zillow economist Alexandra Lee says on average, rural home prices are up around 16 percent, and that in many places, it's the first big price spike in anyone's memory. And I think that might especially feel momentous in a rural area where home values are lower, where incomes are generally lower. These rural areas that historically haven't seen that much volatility in their home prices suddenly seeing a run-up in prices on par with metropolitan areas. That city-style price jump can fall hard on people like Misty Kentner, a mother of three who works in a kitchen in a combination restaurant, gas station, and craft store in Osceola. She says the housing crisis has split up her family. I actually, my daughter lives with my sister at the moment because I don't have a home. My two boys are living with the ex-husband, and I'm staying with friends because there's no house. Kendra doesn't want to buy. She just wants to rent a place in a town where she's lived for 20 years. Michelle Johnson, who manages a gas station and restaurant here, says Kentner's struggle is a familiar one hurting businesses that lose good workers. There's a multitude of reasons why somebody would need to move, and finding them housing in this town is incredibly difficult. And then if they can't find housing here, they're going to move on and probably not continue to be an employee here. That's just always a problem here. Redfin's Daryl Fairweather says rural rents will likely keep rising next year, but that the unprecedented surge in interest in remote rural real estate may be easing. Now things have equalized, and I think that's because the pandemic is subsiding. People are more eager to get back to cities and enjoy big city amenities. Still, Fairweather expects rural home prices to keep climbing as people find themselves priced out of cities and suburbs and continue to look for cheaper places to live. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Frank Morris. Coming up, how Kansas City is making its playgrounds more accessible to kids with limited language abilities. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This is Kansas City Today. UMB Private Wealth Management, a division of UMB Bank, takes the time to understand your history, goals, and priorities. UMB tailors financial planning services and resources to help you accumulate, preserve, and protect your wealth for whatever life throws your way. It's all about establishing a customized plan for you so you can focus on the important parts of life, like spending time with family and friends, pursuing your passions, or building a career. Feel confident about your future at UMB Private Wealth Management. Everything we do starts with you. Learn more at umb.com slash wealth hyphen management. You can give the gift of free 24-7 classical music to your entire community. Today on Giving Tuesday, we hope you'll consider a gift to Classical KC. Visit classicalkc.org to give and thank you. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomeen Ujia-Dean. 
New signage in Kansas City playgrounds is helping kids with limited language abilities communicate. On KCUR's Up to Date, Brian Ellison spoke with some people who are part of the effort to make Kansas City more inclusive. Here's Brian with Deborah Wiebrecht, Chief Inclusion Officer and Executive Director of Nonprofit Variety KC, and mother and daughter Sarah and Olivia Bloomfield. Deborah, welcome to Up to Date. Brian, thank you for having us on this beautiful day. We're so excited to share our mission of how we're trying to make Kansas City the most inclusive city in well, the world. I'm delighted to have you here. And we're we're talking, of course, about more than just playgrounds today, but, but let's start with those. Uh, mm. The entire work of the Variety Children's Charity is providing equipment and spaces for children with different abilities. But take us back 15 or 20 years. What was the landscape like for people with disabilities in Kansas City who wanted a place Boy. to play? Absolutely. And I can take you back 87 years because that's how old we are. We've been around for 87 years helping a variety of kids with a variety of special needs. And what we've learned along the way is when we raise money to buy the equipment they need to participate in life, like wheelchairs, van ramps, prosthetic limbs, communication devices, we noticed that there still were barriers in our world that allowed them to participate in activity in Kansas City. So a part of what Variety does is work with community partners to remove some of those barriers so that kids with disabilities can play alongside able-bodied kids. And playgrounds are the perfect way to do that because kids need to get fresh air. They need to form friendships and be social. And by providing inclusive playgrounds, which we now have 11 of them around Kansas City, it allows kids to have parallel play. Uh, is this primarily uh, something that municipalities and local governments need to do? Or is it something that, that really you rely on uh, businesses or, or individual donors to take care of? You know, in Kansas City, Missouri, we are so fortunate to have a city manager like Brian Platt, who believes in inclusion and equity and understands it and listens, as well as Councilwoman Heather Hall. Um, both of those leaders have really taken on this this special needs population by saying, you're right, they do need to be included. And going back to the playgrounds, they were seeing how many more people were utilizing the playgrounds than before. Um, same thing with the zoo and Kauffman Performing Arts Center and all of our partners. So that opens their eyes that, that there's a huge population that we need to remove barriers for. Well, one of the, the families that uh, has been affected by the moves in the city to uh, provide greater inclusion in playgrounds is the Bloomfield family. And Sarah Bloomfield is here with her her daughter, Olivia. Welcome to both of you. Hi. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Welcome. I'm so glad to have you. And uh, Sarah, I'll talk to you in just a second, but I want to talk to Olivia first. Uh, Olivia, tell us a little bit okay. about yourself. What grade are you in? Um, I'm in fourth grade. Okay. And so how old are you? Uh, I will be 10 in January. And, and what you can't see is I'm in a power wheelchair. Well, okay. Thanks for telling us about that. So, so yeah. what is a, what is this power wheelchair? What what are you able to to do with it? Um, I'm able to get around super fast. <laughs> um, I'm able to just get around. Period. So that I can really get around. Um, um, and Olivia, I I know that that you have muscular dystrophy. Um, not all playgrounds work equally well for you. Exactly because they have mulch. Or they don't have ramps. And I've even some seen some playgrounds that have ramps, but they have mulch. And I was like, what the heck? <laughs> so let me ask your mom, Sarah, when when Olivia was first diagnosed some years ago, um, when you would want to go play, what did that mean for, for your family? What kinds of uh, playgrounds did you encounter around you? 
you know, there, when we first moved to Kansas city, which has been um, about eight years, there really weren't playgrounds near us. In fact, we met Deb when we went out to a playground out near the airport because we were so excited to have a uh, accessible playground in Kansas city, because like Olivia mentioned, and the picture I want to paint for you without being able to see her is you know, she, she does have a power wheelchair. It's quite large. It's also quite expensive and it can get ruined from playgrounds that have mulch and even uh, if they have solid surface, but she's not able to get on and access the playground, it's basically like a big, you know, you're not welcome here sign where she can see it, but she can't get there. And so it it honestly became kind of heartbreaking for us. And these additional playgrounds have meant so much to our family just to be able to be included. You're making a, a point, Sarah, that that when we talk about access to, to playgrounds, a lot of playgrounds have ramps or maybe uh, sidewalks that lead up to the playground. But just getting to it doesn't actually solve the problem. The, to actually be usable is a is a different question, right? So, so uh, Olivia, Correct. I know that in in Leewood, uh, you actually helped design a, a playground, right? Yeah, uh, one at Leewood City Park and one at my school. So what uh, the playgrounds you designed, what are the elements of them? What what makes them uh, usable for you? Um, there's solid surfaces. There's ramps under the equipment. A lot of the stuff is at wheelchair height and the spacing is really big. So I'm a big giant tear from it. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, let me ask Deborah Wiebrecht, who uh, from Variety KC, to, to chime in here. What else makes up an accessible playground? You've you've done a lot of work making these playgrounds around the city. You know, it, I I love what Olivia said because truthfully, kids with special needs don't need special treatment. They just need special equipment. So it needs to have designers and people in place that understand that, that will make sure that they have everything Olivia said, everything's wheelchair height, easily accessible, that all kids can play alongside each other. Olivia, why why does this matter so much to you? I know that um, you, you could just kind of go about your life, but you are here on a radio show talking about this. Why, why are you spending time working on this? Um, because everybody deserves a chance to play and have fun. And Seeing the change happening in Kansas City and beyond, it means so much to me that everyone is getting a chance to hang out, play, have fun with their friends, and just go about their life and have fun. That was KCUR's Brian Ellison speaking to Deborah Wiebrecht, Sarah Bloomfield, and Olivia Bloomfield. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and edited by Gabe Rosenberg and CJ Janovey. You can read Frank's story about rural housing on our website, kcur.org, where you can also listen to a live stream of Kansas City's NPR station. If you're enjoying our show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app or give us a call at 816-235-8930 to leave us a voicemail with your thoughts. Tomorrow, we'll hear more about Kansas City's bid to host the 2026 Men's Soccer World Cup. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.